Well, it's my turn to say Happy Father's Day. Um, I heard my dad say that he can't catch me anymore. That's not true. That's not true. Because I promise you that uh, when this guy struggles, he catches me all the time. It's just a whole different catch. But I'm grateful for him, grateful for all the dads uh, across the place today. Uh, welcome to Heart of Life today. Welcome to summer. It's summer. Somebody said earlier it's not official. Yes, it is. If you watch the sweat pouring off my head every single day, it is officially summer, right? It is here. The heat's here. People on the move. Uh, we got crews going to camp. We got, you know, people been on mission trips. People are going on vacations, which I think is fantastic. Speaking of vacation, vacation Bible school, that's also what summer means. Last week at Lee's Summit had a great vacation Bible school. A week from now, right here, looking forward to Vacation Bible School. It's just a great time of the year, but it means that people are on the move. And so I'm thanking you for taking the time uh, to be here today. We are in our first, really, of what I would call summer series called The Greatest Show. The Greatest Show. And it's been fun this week to hear people catching up on uh, watching the movie. Obviously, it's a play off The Greatest Showman and just listening to people process all that. And everybody loves the music. I love the storyline. And the reason I love the storyline is because we all can relate to this love for applause. Now, maybe you would say there's no way I would feel comfortable standing up like in front of a, a group of people and them applauding me that no thanks. But what I'm saying is we all enjoy the approval of people. We just do. We, we like people to approve of who we are. We like pre people to approve of, of what we do. Well, this series is about something so much greater than the applause of people. You know, if you live for the applause of people, there's always somebody not applauding you. There's always somebody that, that thinks it could be better, right? But there's something so much greater than the applause of people. We're talking about an appetite for something more powerful than our own prominence, we believe, the Bible teaches clearly, God's glory is the greatest show. God's glory is the greatest show. Therefore, the greatest life is one lived for the glory of God. Now, last week, we, we, we discovered if you want to be a part of the greatest show, it starts with us pursuing obscurity. Now, what we mean by that is we pursue obscurity so that we can point to the greatness of God. The, the, the goal of our life is not to, to say, look at me. The goal of our life is to declare, look how great God is. I encourage you, if you didn't get to be a part of last week, check out the talk from last week. Start to process this with us. It is a major hinge point in how you will choose to live your life. If you live for God's applause rather than the applause of people, that requires, on a regular basis, you are seeing the glory, the greatness of God. And what we learned last week is if you're going to see the greatness of God, that requires patience. And this is the statement that I gave you last week that 
God just worked me over before I gave it to you, and I wasn't really sure if you really heard me last week, but then the feedback that I got from during the week, I think you heard me. God will not let you work this into your busy schedule. His design is that his glory becomes the busyness of your schedule. Man, I want us to get that. This is not about my life is busy, so God, I need to see some of your glory. I need to see your goodness. When can I work this in? He will not let you work it into your busy schedule. This is about his glory becoming the busyness of your schedule. Once you see his glory, once you pursue obscurity, what happens next? That's what we're talking about today, and this is, what we're, this is where we're going. You will be present intentionally. You will be present intentionally. And what I mean is you will choose to be present. You will choose to show up in the lives of people. You will choose to show up in the life of your spouse. You will choose to show up in the life of your kids. You will choose to show up in your friendships. You will choose to show up for the oppressed. And for us who are Jesus followers, we will choose to show up in the lives of people who do not yet know who Jesus is. Here's what I want you to see. There is an unmistakable link. There is an undeniable link between pursuing obscurity where I see the greatness of God. Eyes not on me. Eyes are on him. There is this link that you cannot deny. When you see the greatness of God, you will start to show up in people's lives. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, honestly, that's not always what I hear. That's not always how people express this. For example, have you ever heard somebody say something like this? Me and God, we're good, even if you and I are not. You ever heard somebody say that? It's like, me and God, we're good, even though I got this thing with this other person that we're not good. Me, me and God are good. You ever heard somebody say that? Me and God, we're good, even though, even though you and I may not be good. Me and God are good. Can I tell you from an authority much bigger than me, that is not true. That is not true. And so I want to challenge you to think through this today. When people think about a relationship with God, the word that usually comes to mind is the word obedience. When people think about a relationship with God, what they often think about is obedience. God has rules. God has laws. He wants me to keep those laws, and as long as I keep those rules, then he and I, we're good. I think that's how a lot of people see the relationship with God. Now, as you get older, and the more you're around church, the more you begin to realize there is a Protestant set of rules, and there is a Catholic set of rules, and there is a Muslim set of rules. Everybody's got their set of rules because, come on, that's kind of what religion ends up being. It's this, what's the magic combination to keep God 
happy. Because whatever that combination is, whatever those rules are, that's what I want to do. And if I can check the boxes and I'm obedient, then God is good with me. Now, if that's how you think, you will ask questions like this. Is this a sin? So, can I do this? They are questions that reveal a, really a deeper question behind. The question is this, how close can I get to sin without actually sinning? In other words, I know there are rules that God wants me to keep, and as long as I keep the rules, then he's happy, and so I want to keep him happy. So, like, how close can I get to making God mad but not actually making God mad? Is this a sin? Can I do this? What we tend to look for are loopholes. I know God says this, but here's my circumstance. Is this a sin? The relationship with God determined by obedience to the laws of God. Now, please don't, do not misunderstand what I'm saying. Does obedience matter? Yes, it does. But I want you to think through this. Other than your dog, who else obeys you? Some of you are like, my dog doesn't even obey me, <laughs> right? Seriously, other than your dog. I mean, if, if somebody said to you, man, you, your marriage just seems fantastic, are you really going to answer back with, yeah, she just obeys me? <laughs> no. Right? You, you're dating someone, and it just seems like that thing's clicking, and somebody goes, man, it seems like that's really good. Are you really going to say, yeah, my boyfriend, he just obeys me? You better not, right? How about a team? A team that just works. It's like, man, this is a good team. Well, what's the deal? Well, they obey me. Even within an office, even within an organization, man, this thing just really clicks. It seems like it works. You, are you really going to answer, well, it's because they, they obey me? No. Here's my point. We never reduce a good relationship down to just obedience. Even with our children. Should children obey their parents? Absolutely. But if somebody sees that you have a great relationship with your kids, and they say, man, what's the deal? You're not simply going to answer, well, they just obey me. Yes, that's part but there's so much more that's attached to that that makes the relationship beautiful. It's what makes this relationship real. But with God, it seems really easy for us to reduce the thing down to just obey Him. How do you know if you're right with God? Just obey Him. Here's the rules. You obey the rules. He's happy. Why do we think that way? It's like, why do we recognize in every other relationship, it seems to be more, it seems to be bigger than that, but why do we reduce it down to simply that when it comes to God? And I think some of it has to do with how we read and understand um, the first part of our Bible, which we call the Old Testament, which means the Old Covenant. That's what the word testament means, by the way. And so when you open your Bible and you look at the first half of it, we call it the Old Testament. It is the old, it's the word covenant. 
Now, here's the picture there. God has a covenant with ancient Israel. He's got a covenant with the nation of Israel. And, and, and the way it works is sort of this cause and effect thing where, where, where God says, um, here are the commandments. How many of them? Ten. Here are the commandments. You, you keep them. Right? And it's this picture of obey and be blessed. That's the way it works. Now, if you read the story, this is a covenant God, again, makes with a nation. And so the way it usually falls out, the leaders, if they obey God, the nation is blessed. And if the leaders disobey God, then, then the nation experiences discipline. That's the picture that we read. And I'm convinced that that's the picture that some of us drag with us, and it's the picture that we never move beyond. The Old Testament, though, hints that something else is coming. The Old Testament, throughout it, gives us hints that something better is on the way. The Old is pointing to something new. And the something new is not just going to be this covenant that God makes with, with a nation. This is going to be a covenant that can be between God and any individual on the planet. And you get to the end of the Old Testament, and who arrives? Jesus. John the Baptist sees him and says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Paul writes about it in the book of Galatians, he said, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, but to redeem those under the law that we might become sons. An adoption that we would become his kids. It's the, it's the picture. And so you got this Old Testament covenant, and then here comes Jesus, and the picture is, you understand, he is the only way that you and I can ever have a right relationship with God. It is Jesus. I mean, because we all know that we, we, we break the covenants. We all know that we break the laws. We all know that we have sinned. Jesus is the only way, by grace through faith in him. And when Jesus shows up, he points to something better. For example, Jesus in the upper room with the disciples. We call it the upper room, right? We're, we're told that that was an upstairs room that Jesus meets with his disciples. The cross is just hours ahead. And Jesus sits down to celebrate the Passover with them. The Passover was something that the Jewish people celebrated every year. It, it, was a, it was a celebration, a remembrance of something that had happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. It was the celebration of what God had done to free them from slavery in Egypt. That's what the Passover was. Jesus sits down at the table with his disciples on that night, right before the cross, and Jesus says to them something absolutely shocking. He says, from now on, when you celebrate this, 
it is not going to be about something that happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. When you celebrate this, it's going to be about what's about to happen in the next few hours. He says, when you eat this bread and you drink this this juice, this is going to be a symbol of a brand new covenant in my blood. A relationship with God. Not an Old Testament covenant just between a nation, cause and effect, but now that Jesus, we got a New Testament, we got a new covenant only through the death, the resurrection of Jesus, a relationship with God, not just measured by obedience to a list, but this relationship is going to be measured by, by one simple command. And in that upper room on that night, John, who was there, heard Jesus say it. John chapter 13, verse 34, a new command I give you. A new command I give you. An extraordinary command I give you. You ready for this? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, that kind of narrows it down. That kind of simplifies things, doesn't it? He he didn't say, hey, you understand, it's through me, it's through my death and and resurrection that, that you have a relationship with God, but then how do you make God happy? How do you know that the relationship with God is good? Here is the list of laws. Here is the list that you need to make sure you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this. And if you keep the if you keep the rules, then then you know God's happy and you know this is all good. No, he he said, Look, I'm about to lay down my life for you. It will be unearned, it will be by grace, your faith in me. And this is how we're going to sum it up. Love people. Love people. Let me describe it this way. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're listening in. And you don't trust Christians. You don't even want to be here. You, you lost a bet. That's why you're here, right? You lost a bet. Here you are, serving your time. You don't like Christians. And if, if I pried into that far enough, usually the answer that will come back has something to do with because either you or someone you love were treated really rudely by people who called themselves Christians. And after they treated you that way, 
they all met together and sang happy songs. And you said, this doesn't work. I would like for you to know today that Jesus also says that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because you can't claim to be right with God and not love. He says you, you can't claim that this relationship with God is what, is what it should be if, if you don't love people. This is not how it works. It's not how it works. Now, the early church struggled with this. They did. They struggled with this picture of the old and the new. Now, the early church was growing. It, it was growing, but that they constantly were struggling between this tension of the laws, of the commands that were given, and that they were taught to keep versus this new. And so, that's not the only thing John writes on this deal. Almost 40 years later, John's still writing on it. Now, not in the Gospel of John, but in actually one of the letters, right? He wrote several letters in addition to that. By, by this time, John is, is an old man. He has seen much of life. He has been through it all. And in the end, he ends up writing some letters like 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And in 1 John, John's writing about it again. And here's what he says Chapter 2, I want to walk you through this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children. Now, what does that mean? That means that John, by now, is a great-great-grandpa, and when you're a great-great-grandpa, everybody's children, right? And so when he writes, he writes as this dear, old, faithful follower of Jesus. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, we read that and we go, okay, we get that. Those, those are kind of some church phrases that we hear all the time. But I want you to put yourself, try to, in John's place. John followed Jesus around. John saw him with his own eyes. He, he, he walks with him for some three and a half years. Jesus is his friend. And what John has come to know is that when, when it comes to making things right between you and God, the answer is Jesus. He's the advocate. He is the one. Without him, we don't have a shot at this. But with him, it is possible for all. Verse 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So John says, we're going to answer this question up front. Does God like some people more than others? Does God like some more than others? I mean, obviously God must love the Jews more than he loves any other nation. John says, I want to be clear, we all come to him on the same terms, sin forgiven, his righteousness given, 
And the only way that happens is through his sacrifice for us. Verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. All right, all right. So how do I know if I got a good relationship with God? How do, how do I know if God is happy with this thing? He, here's what he says. You keep the commands of Jesus. You keep the commands of Jesus. Verse 4, whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. So he says if you say you do, but, but you, don't, you don't follow the commands that Jesus gave, then he goes, you're kidding yourself, you're lying to yourself, you're lying to everybody else around you. Verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. John just so simplifies the whole picture. This big confusing question. How do you know if God is happy? Here's what he says. You look at Jesus, you see what he does. When you follow him, when you obey him, you have a love for God. He's like, that's it. That's it. It's not about, hey, can I, can I do this and still God be okay? Can I, can I get away with this and God not be ticked at me? He goes, no. You want to know? If you love God, he's like, you, you follow the command of Jesus, you obey him, and you have a love for God. No, no guessing anymore. Watch Jesus, and you'll understand what God wants of us. Verse 7, dear friends, I am not writing you a new command but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. The old command is the message you've heard. He's like, look, from the first day Jesus shows up, this is what you heard from him. From the first moment that you became a part of the church, when you put your trust in him, this is what you know it has been. Verse 8, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. John goes poetic on us before he's going to get back to practical. And he says, come on, this isn't just a what you believe thing. This is also a, a what you can see thing. This is clear. This is transparent. You know if you're doing it or not. This is no longer about finding loopholes. What can you get away with? No more guessing. You see it in Jesus. And he says, I can see it in, in some of you. He says, the darkness is passing. And the true light's already shining. What is, what is he saying? I think, again, John has been around a long, long time by now. He has put his life on the line more times than you can count because he loves Jesus. They've tried to kill him multiple times, and they can't. They, they've tried to exile him. They try to shut him up, and they can't. <clears throat> He's been around. He's seen it. And it's like John just leans back for a moment and he looks across the horizon of what he has seen since the resurrection of Jesus. And he's like, oh, y'all, the sun is starting to rise. And this new command, this, this picture of what a relate, it is beginning to influence the whole world. 
And then he just goes back to the main point so that we make sure that we don't miss it. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Now, come on, no, no, we don't hate. We don't hate. It's not acceptable to hate in our culture, is it? You can't hate anybody, right? You got to be okay with everybody. You got you to be accepting of everybody. It, it's not okay to hate in our culture. So we don't hate. Okay, let's, let's play this game. Are there some people you just kind of don't like? Can we go there? Like, well, yeah, kind of. Or there are some people that you just prefer not to be around? Maybe. Like, yes, there are. I mean, there's, okay, Jeff, everybody's kind of got some people they don't like, and everybody's kind of got some people they don't want to be around. I mean, if I could make them disappear, I would, but I don't hate them. All right, let's play that game. If I mistreat... If I ignore, if I dismiss, if I see them as less, I'm in darkness. I'm in darkness. If you are mistreating a group of people, then you are in the dark. Verse 10. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. You get this love thing right, you're good to go. I mean, come on, Jesus, Jesus even once said, love your enemies, now you're like God. He said that. You love your enemies, now you're like God. You get this right. You're, you're, you're good to go, right? Verse 11, but anyone, he goes back just in case you've missed it, all right? But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Mistreating people creates conflict between you and God. I'm going to say it again. Mistreating people, ignoring people, seeing anyone as less valuable, you do that, it creates conflict between you and God, and it leads leaves you stumbling around in the darkness in your life. Now, this is not too hard for us to comprehend because most of us at some point in our life have struggled with bitterness. I mean, come on, some point somebody did something and you struggled with some bitterness and when you were bitter, you were in the dark. You look back on it now and you're like, thank God for his grace because, I mean, I, man, I was so bitter. I couldn't see clearly, I, I, right? You, you struggle with forgiveness you're in the dark. We know that. We, we've all kind of been there at some point or, or another. We, we get what John is saying here. Why is this the case? Why, why can, can he say this? I'm going back to verse 2 because I think it's the hinge. Verse 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words... That person that you ignore, that person you dislike, that person you dismiss, that person you think less of, Jesus 
died for you, died for them. Everybody is somebody for whom Jesus died. Maybe you, you really would feel like that person I described earlier where you're like, I don't trust Christians, and therefore I don't trust God. I, I don't even really care. I, I don't care to know. I, I don't really have anything for God. He doesn't matter to me. But see, here's what, here's what we believe. You matter to God whether God matters to you or not. It's a part of his greatness. You matter to God, whether he matters to you or not. Everybody is somebody for whom Jesus died. If I mistreat someone who he loves, then I can't be right with God. It would be like somebody mistreats one of your kids and then they invite you to lunch and pretend like everything's cool. You gonna go for that? Hey, no, I probably wouldn't go to lunch, right? Somebody mistreats one of your kids and then they say, let's go to lunch and they just act like everything is cool. You wouldn't be cool with that because you would say, if you mistreat my kids, you are mistreating me. Somebody does something for your kids, suddenly, even if you don't like them, you kind of like them. Right? They do something for your kids, you're like, I don't, I don't even know if I like them, but I, I like them. We get this. So, we, we hear a command, tell the truth. Tell the truth. Why should we tell the truth? Well, the Bible says don't lie, right? The Bible says don't lie. If you lie, it's a sin. God, God's, God hates sin. Don't, 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 don't lie. Well, how, how about this too? When you lie to people, you are treating that person as though they are not valuable. Does it matter between you and God? Yeah. But he says it also matters between you and everyone else. Be generous. Well, why should I be generous? Well, because God, God, God tells us that, that we should be generous, right? God, God tells us that we, that we should. I mean, if I give God one, he'll give me ten. No, that was the old, that was the old covenant. How about, how about your generosity helps people? How about your, your generosity helps people? Kind of like God says he so loved, he gave. 
So don't talk bad about people. Why not? Well, because God will get mad at you. Well, how about because it diminishes their value? And I don't want to do anything that hurts you. The law was a lot more complicated than that. But love is a lot more demanding, isn't it? Because when you decide to love someone, then there's no more loopholes. There's no loopholes. It's, I'm going to do what's best for her. That's it. I'm going to put her ahead of me. That, that's, that, that's it. What does love require of me? Now, we're going to wrestle with this more next week. That, that's what we're going to wrestle with. What does love require, right? Once you, once you show up, once you show up, what, what does love require? I, I just want to encourage you, if, if you're going to have to wrestle with this and I'm going to have to wrestle with this, we are in good company because the early church wrestled with this, all right? They knew the old covenant. They knew it. They grew up learning all that. Then here comes Jesus. He speaks into their lives. Everything changes. They get this, this new covenant, that, that, this relationship. But can I just explain that 10 years after the resurrection, 10 years, Years after the resurrection, Peter has still not set foot in a Gentile house until Cornelius' story comes along, and Jesus says, get in that house. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? Ten years after the resurrection, Peter is still wrestling with stepping foot in a Gentile household because he's always been taught that the Gentiles are unclean, that they, they, they are a people who are less, and so he's, he hasn't even set foot in that household. See what I'm saying? Twenty years after the resurrection, they're still wrestling with questions like, do you have to be circumcised in order to have actually a relationship with God? 20 years after the resurrection, I realized I just threw something at you. Like, if, if you're brand new to church, you just went, what? Just, it's okay. My point is that they wrestled with this. And they landed in the, the right spot, thank goodness. But they wrestled with this. Right belief leads to right love. And maybe you're saying, Jeff, that's my fear. That, that's, that's my fear when it comes to, you know, being present intentionally in people's lives. I don't know if I really know how to help people. Right? I, I don't know if what I'm doing is what's best for them. Well, I'm telling you, I'm promising you, next week, that's where we're going. Next week, we're going to wrestle with that, with that question. But my point is, in order to help, you got to show up. Before we wrestle with, am I doing the right thing to help them, we got to wrestle with, am I showing up? Am I present intentionally because love requires time. Love requires time. Love requires presence. I promise you, dads, your kids spell love, T-I-M-E. They do. You can't say that you love without the time. I'm telling it on myself this week. I think it was about Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday. Sometime late Tuesday, my son asked a question to my wife. Where's dad this week? Because he's like, I haven't seen him since Sunday. 
And he was right, because the schedule was such, and I had to be in this place, and he had to be in this place, and this place, and he's like, I, I haven't seen him since Sunday. Where's dad this week? And I'm telling you that on Tuesday evening, my schedule changed for some of what I thought it was going to be the rest of the week. I get it. I get it. This, this being present intentionally, this, this factor of time, you can't dismiss it from love. I mean, remember what John told us? John told us, 1 John chapter 2, um, I think it was verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Right? So how do we know if we're doing this right? We look at him. We look at him. How, how did Jesus do this? Let me give you one observation from, from how Jesus lived. When I read the Gospels, when I watch him move, when I watch how Jesus interacts, here is something that I notice. Jesus was not in a hurry. Jesus was not in a hurry. And it frustrated his followers. It did. It frustrated them. Can you imagine people being frustrated with Jesus because he's not moving fast enough? Sure you can. It's why some of you are mad at him right now. Because you got stuff, and he ain't moving as fast as you want him to move. When he walked the planet, they were frustrated with him. The disciples were frustrated with him. Jesus, we don't have time to sit down with these little kids. Remember that one? Jesus, we don't, we don't have time. We don't have time. I mean, come on. We, we got stuff to do. We got, we, people need to be healed. There, there's, there's stuff that needs to be taught. I mean, we don't have time to sit down with these little kids, much less you, you like let every single one of them sit on your lap and, and, and you're going to bless them. We, we don't have time. Jesus, Jesus, they're kids. We don't have time for this. He said, you better. Because these are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I would suggest you make this the busyness of your schedule. <laughs> Jesus. Remember the, the issue, remember the woman with the issue of blood? I, I preached that message to you like several months ago. And, and it, the story was, remember Jairus' daughter was sick? And, and they wanted Jesus to come, to come heal his daughter who, who was dying, and Jesus is on the way. And the woman with the issue of blood, remember, touches him. And, and, and all of a sudden, you got this moment where the disciples are going, Jesus, we don't have time to stop. We don't have time to stop. Right? She touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. But all of a sudden, Jesus has stopped, and they're like, Jesus, we don't have time. we got to get to Jairus' daughter. What do you mean somebody touched you? There's hundreds of people all around us. They're all trying to get to you. We don't have time. For this. And, and yet in Mark chapter 5, we're told in verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Because Jesus wasn't interested in a drive by that day. He loved that woman. And he stops. He stops. Jesus would not be a good hire. He works too slow. Jesus would not be a good hire. 
He moves. He moves way too slow. And sometimes he calls other people to move slow. Martha. Martha. Less run, more intentional walk. Less run, more intentional walk. I mean, isn't there just a part of you that wishes that could be more of your schedule than just the run, just the constant, how, how do we keep up, how do we get, more, more intentional walk, less run. That's what we see in Jesus when John says, look at him and watch how he does this, right? And come on, Jesus had a lot to do. There were lots of people to heal. There's lots to be taught. Jesus had a lot to do. You try being the Savior of the world. Oh, wait. Maybe that's why your schedule looks like it is. Because you are trying to be the Savior of the world. You and I don't make good saviors. It's why our life is in a hurry. It's why sometimes we get the job done and we miss the people along the way. I want to challenge you today. Be present intentionally. Be present intentionally. In the life of your spouse, in the life of your kids, in the life of your friendships, in the life of the oppressed, in the lives of the lost. Be present intentionally. And let's stop honoring busyness for the sake of busyness. Because sometimes busyness is just a badge of brokenness. Broken people sometimes get busy. Broken people sometimes will fill their lives with stuff. It covers the pain, but it soon moves into our character. We cannot relax. It is just how we move. But I'm telling you that busyness can be the enemy of love your neighbor. And that's not a big deal until Jesus says, this love your neighbor thing, that's how you can tell if things are really right between us. Our prayer, God help us be present intentionally. You have the guts to show up next week. We're going to talk about how do I, how, okay, how, what does love require of me when I do? When I engage in these moments, what does love require of me? Next week we'll go there. Let's pray. God, I believe that there's, uh, <laughs> this room is filled with folks. God, I believe there are going to be a number of folks who, who hear this talk along the way that their heart really is to love. God, their heart really is to do this right. What we are acknowledging today is that there can just be, though, these, these seasons of our lives where we get caught up, God, in the race. We, we, get, we get caught up in the busyness, and we just need those moments to be able to step back and be reminded what matters here. And God, I thank you for today. It is, it is that kind of moment for me to be reminded of what a relationship with you really is about, to be reminded how Jesus so modeled that for us. Jesus, will you forgive us 
for acting like the more we get done, then the happier you are with us. At the cross, you settled that stuff for us. When we placed our faith in you, it is a covenant that you make that cannot be broken. It is a covenant where you love to a degree that we, we don't even know how to imagine. You are with us. Help us walk this out like you, Jesus. Help us to be intentional even this week in our families, in our friendships. God, with the people that you have, you have put in front of us, the oppressed, the lost, God, help us to be intentional this week that we will show up on purpose. But God, in order to do that right, we need to see your greatness. God, we need the daily dose. Give us patience to behold your greatness, even in this moment. May we see how great you are. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.